HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. Greenhorns, this is Greenhorns Radio. This is your host, Severance, with Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers. I'm here in rainy New York on the phone with sunny Florida. Hello, Miriam. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Thanks. Uh, I'm very good. We are in the middle of processing season, so we're dealing with um, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of tomatoes that are just the, on the right side of ripe. But tomorrow might be on the wrong side of ripe. Where are you in your season down there? Uh, we are right in the middle of the off season right now, which is kind of what's the crazy thing about Miami is we are almost a mirror image um, of of the rest of the country in terms of seasons. I've, I've worked on farms in in upstate New York, so I I got to see really how how opposite it is. Um, so the months that the months that most people start their tomatoes is the month that we usually, like, are taking down our old tomato plants and kind of shutting down. Whoa, crazy. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, so you're just laying low like a lizard because it's just too hot to really be worth <laughs> that? Yeah, that couldn't, that couldn't be more accurate. Um, we, this is, I mean, even though there's always, because it's, it's not, uh, our off-season isn't, um, kind of prohibited by um, by cold weather, it's still nice out, you always kind of have the urge to be out there and continue working, you know what I mean? You, you always want to, like, I don't know, improve some infrastructure thing or work on some perennial part of your, of your farm, but uh, August is really the peak of it, and it is so, so hot and brutal that by even by 11 a.m., you kind of just have to, like, run inside the house and, and hang out the rest of the day inside. Holy smoke. So I'm just starting to tune into this whole Florida agriculture scene. I, we ha- Greenhorn World hasn't extended that far into Florida, but I've recently had some fun uh, email pen pals and chance encounters with Floridians that um, has... It's, I'm learning that there's really quite a little scene. Do you want to tell me about maybe starting with your farm and then kind of some of else what's going on in Florida? Sure. Uh, 
Sure. Although uh, Florida is sort of a a broader geography than I'm really familiar with. I mean, I ever since I started my garden, I call it a garden because it's it's in the city and it's really on a, on a lot smaller scale than the average farm. Um, I'm working more in square feet than acreage. So just to give you an example, I have um, about 10,000 square feet of production. Um, so... Um, so I'm, ever since I started it, which was about three years ago, this will be my fourth summer, but I started them the, the, three seasons ago, um, I kind of had to stop going to the farm conferences in Florida because I didn't have the time. When you're, when you're growing and the conference happens right in the middle of your growing season, it's hard to get, to get out there. So I, I feel, I guess, in a way, a little bit out of touch with what's happening in, in Florida, but... I can tell you about what's happening in Miami. Um, and so that's a good start. Let's start there. It's a good start, yeah. Um, so there's a lot There's a lot kind of that's been going on or since I started my garden. Um, I feel like when I started in 2010, I, was, I felt very isolated down here. You know, I felt like I was in no man's land. You know, there's not much going on. I didn't feel like I had very many peers and... Um, a lot of my volunteers and apprentices um, were just your average, you know, regular home gardener who just wanted a little more experience, whereas now I'm getting volunteers and apprentices who are interested in starting their own farms or growing their, you know, just kind of a little more serious about growing. And there's, I feel like I have more peers to... Um, in fact, this summer when I'm planning my seed order, um, I'm I'm feeling like I need to to go out and have meetings with all the other growers in town to see what they're planning to grow, so that we can kind of complement each other instead of clash. You know, and that that alone to me is a sign that there's so many more people growing food here, which is really great. Um, there's um, you know small farm type people. Um, there's also a lot of urban urban gardens, community gardens. Um, there are a lot of permaculture things happening here, too. So, um, you know, permaculture is not really into producing high volumes of annual crops, but they do um, they do produce a lot of stuff, um, especially down here where tropical fruit is a big commodity, and in permaculture, tropical fruit is kind of like, you know, a, it's a big part of it, so... A lot of bananas being grown and pineapples and papayas and passion fruit and um these are all things that I can I can use to um supplement my CSA shares, which are mostly made up of vegetables, but I like to throw in a lot of the tropical stuff too, you know. So um so I could make some I could make some guesses about the market in Miami. I know there's a strong tourism and art scene and a lot of, like, flashy, fancy restaurants. But um, I know that's not the whole story. Can you talk a little bit about the food culture in Miami and how your garden plays into that? Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, I hate to say it, in a way you're kind of right. I mean, it is very, like, the scene in general here is very flashy, and it it is a lot about um, this, like, sort of tourism culture of, you know, 
fancy drinks with little umbrellas in them and stuff like that. Um, there's less down-to-earth, you know, homey kind of stuff going on. Um, but um, but I think people are kind of opening their eyes more to what local, like the local food scene and what that means here um, is a lot of tropical fruit, which I guess sounds flashy, even though it's our reality, you know. So our reality is kind of naturally flashy because because pineapples and passion fruit are are sort of an exotic thing, you know, even though they're our norm. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I still struggle with the flashiness. I still think we have a long way to go, you know, and, and to get away from that. When I... When I think about working with some local restaurants, I struggle because they, um, I don't know, they just, they they don't, I feel like they're not doing a lot of home cooking. You know, they're doing a lot of fancy stuff, and that's sort of not how I think about food, so it's, it's challenging. So, and then what about, like, um, the very many immigrant communities who are, who are in Florida, and obviously you're also coming as a first-generation American. Um, are there are there um, strong community gardens that are nurtured by folks who grow different kinds of crops than are familiar to the like um, Anglo or uh, you know more European heritage food culture? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's a really cool thing about my neighborhood. I live in Little Haiti, so it's um, it's literally that. I mean, the majority of the people in this neighborhood are Haitian, and um, even even if it's not an organized community garden, what I do see in my neighborhood a lot of is just people growing food in their yards very casually. You know, so sort of part of like their landscaping. There's a lot of um, um, things that you just wouldn't that your average American, you know, citizen might not even know exist. Like, for example, um, Aki fruit is a tree. It's a beautiful tree that grows this fruit. Um, it kind of looks like a cashew fruit. And it's really, really common in the Caribbean. I mean, any Jamaican or Caribbean um, descent person will tell you that it's one of the staples. Um, but I didn't know about it until a few years ago. Um, there's people growing pigeon peas in their yards a lot. They grow a lot of yucca here and just in, in the in the yard and of course a lot of tropical fruit trees, avocados and mangoes are growing all over the place. But but um but yeah it's really it's really, really interesting to see how how the Haitian community specifically um just it's normal for them to grow at least some of their own food, you know, in their yard. And so let's talk a little bit about your own uh, plot, the scale of your operation, and how much of your how much of your um, financial life it covers, and or kind of like what's your life work balance or farm non farm balance on like tiny acreage tropical tropical paradise? It sounds sounds like maybe you could get more out of less down there. Yeah, and that's when I when you do work with a really small scale production, that is the key, you know, is to get more 
out of the out of less space. Um, so it's very intensive. There's um, very little in like the design of the garden is. There's very little walkway space. In fact, sometimes it feels kind of claustrophobic. Although you know it's hard to find feel really claustrophobic with plants because they're so inviting. But um, you sort of have to walk one foot in front of the other directly, you know, and um, sometimes it can be really tight for people that are volunteering or if we ever have kids coming to the, to the garden, it can be a little tight. But that, that's, um, that's sort of what I have to do. I have to grow um, in every little square inch that I can, and I, I really stick to crops that are high-yielding. So, for example, I, I can't grow... Um, watermelons or or um what's another crop that takes up a lot of space for you know broccoli even i mean there are certain crops that take up a certain amount of space and give you a certain yield and i i limit myself and i stick to things that i can cut that will regrow so that i can harvest multiple times like arugula or a lot of other asian greens that you cut and they regrow um, carrots, high density stuff like that, um, and that's that's really the you know the way to make it work at least for me. And I do have an off farm job. Speaking of just you know just addressing the your question about finances and stuff, um, I manage a farmers market in town, which is once a week, and that really helps to fill in my um, just my bank account and. It's. I like it because it's related. It's managing a farmer's market. So it's. I'm in the world of food, and I'm. I'm bringing vendors into the market that are, you know, also growers and p- people that are producing like interesting food products locally. So it's. It's a really great complement to being a an urban farmer. Is, is getting to have a job in the city, that can be food related, that can be social. You know, it can be involved in on other levels of of the food scene. Um. And I also, I also always tell people, people ask, people ask me all the time whether I, I make enough money as growing food and I tell them, well, it it depends on your lifestyle. You know, I don't have 10 pairs of shoes and I, um, sort of really wear clothes until they're pretty well worn. So I, I just live a really, um, I live on a tight budget and I make it work that way. And now you have another little one coming, or already came. She already came, yeah, she's already here. She's seven months old, and she's definitely throwing in a lot of challenging um, blocks to what I do. But it's it's great. It's really, really great. And I'm really lucky to have my parents living in town and my boyfriend's parents also living in town, and they love taking her. So they do, and that's when I get to work. So I have these, like, built-in babysitters that love her more than any babysitter, you know, so it's great. Well, and I think that's an important, I mean, that's not just a side point. I think that's a critical point about uh, the economics of farming with children is how critical it is to be embedded within a, a family or alternative babysitting framework. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, you saying that almost gives me chills because it's something people don't don't talk about very much. But well, there's you know that funny saying: it takes a village to raise a child, and that's. I mean, I, I have really seen how that 
how that applies, how that's true. And especially when you work for yourself, you know, maybe not, not only in farming, but any, any woman who works for herself, when they have a, a child, um, you really are going to be counting on, on your family and your friends to sort of share, you know, share in taking care of the baby. But when it works, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so let's talk about, in your bio, you said that you went to art school and that um, it was through your day job during art school that you learned you were really into flowers. Um, yeah. I just wanted to see what's the compliment, the kind of the sentiment of being an artist or the sentiment of being an activist. It often goes along with uh, farming. But maybe you could just reflect a little on that in your own life. Um, yeah, yeah. I studied art since I was really young, and so I, I feel like it's very deeply uh, rooted in the way that I think and the way that I see the world. And I think that when it comes to farming, um, it I don't know how anybody else sees farming, but I know that for myself I really find a lot of, beauty in it and I um and I, I I totally kind of give credit to my my art training you know the fact that I see I see um patterns just really vividly and and um a lot of um how can I say this so that it makes sense um when it when it comes to plants and understanding plants there's there's a lot of sort of pattern eye coordination that goes on. So in order for you to recognize um, how plants are growing and how they're related and how they're relating to each other and um, so sort of how the whole ecosystem is working, there's all these patterns within the ecosystem, even a microclimate in in one little farm or one corner of the farm. And so I I feel like having this this sort of art background has, has really made it for me almost like a seamless transition into plant world, and just visually being able to really understand and read what's happening. Does that make sense, even? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging thing to communicate about sometimes. Yeah, but I've, I've, tried, to write, I've tried writing about it, and it, it is very challenging, but um, there's this one, there's a kind of a permaculture guru, his name's Geoff Lawton, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's Australian, and He's sort of like the leading the permaculture movement. Um, he has all these videos, and um, he does workshops and stuff, and um, he has a really successful permaculture career. And he he talks a lot about the pattern eye, and that's something that um, as a as a farmer you you either have it or you don't, you know, or you can sort of train it, but it's pretty hard to tr- to train it. And it's just he he sort of talks about it in a really good way. He describes how um, your eye will just sort of scan a landscape and, like, identify patterns going on, you know, and and, uh, having art training, oh, my God, my my pattern eye is keen, and I love that, and it's been really great to work with. And and, um, I just find also, on another note, I find a lot of pleasure, just daily pleasure, and just looking at the garden and looking at the farm and, you know, the rows of carrots and the textures of the leaves compared to a row of collards right next to it, it just even the simple things like that. I mean, it just makes my, it makes my day and it makes my job so much more pleasant. 
And so what's the future for what's the future for your little part of the world um, in terms of becoming more food resilient and strengthening the community that's there and growing more gardens and spare lots? Like where do you think our like you mentioned this coordination and cooperation that's starting? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel like are some strategic next moves that need to get made in order to move forward, just in terms of your, like, city food shed? Um, well, that's a really good question, and I, I feel like if I had the answer, <laughs> if I had a really a really good, clear answer to that question, I I would feel lucky, and, on, you know, I sort of, it's hard to tell what needs to happen, um... I guess at least from my point of view, it seems hard to tell, but um, but I can say that that because of our climate uh, being subtropical, there there already seems to be kind of a ball rolling with with permaculture. It's, we're really embracing that that kind of part of of agriculture, and um, and that feels like a really good direction for South Florida, for Miami. Um, there could be, we could just really easily have little mini food forests all over the city and sort of it, they could fill in uh, food gaps um, for people that can afford food or just just in general. I mean, I know that there are, there are a few city parks um, in, within the city of North Miami, which is where I actually work managing that farmer's market. It's with the city of North Miami. Within a few of their parks, they're planting orchards on a really small scale, but when you go there you, and you see it working, it's it's amazing, and it just it feels like there should be more of that. So there should be more fruit orchards being planted in all the city parks, and um, and I think that would be a really great way to close the gap. Um, so yeah, that's, that would that would be great. Well, particularly when it's when it's so abundant. I mean, I was just I used to be growing in Southern California, and you know we would have we would just have like um, what are they called chayote, like yeah. all year long almost. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it can be it can be so in this climate, just like in Southern California, it can be so abundant, and it's it's a little frustrating to just you know to see that it's. The, the entire city is landscaped with ornamentals that serve no food purpose. <clears throat> they barely provide habitat for, um, you know, for other species. Um, wh- where we could be growing, we could be growing a lot of a lot of food passively, you know, just effortlessly, just by planting the right trees. So that that would be a really amazing step for a city like Miami. Definitely, I don't, I don't know how close we are to making that happen. I'm, I'm not sure, you know. I don't. I'm not really connected politically here, so that I don't know what what, what the steps would need to be in order to get some of the people that make those decisions and have the money in their hands to make that happen. Up, but that would definitely be, I think, very smart. So we have a good answer in terms of we have a good answer in terms of orchards. We have a little bit of. Um, work to do to get to get the reclaiming going in Miami. Um, a little bit of work to do in reorienting some of that flashy food culture to be a little bit um, humbler maybe. Yeah. 
and um, and like fun times ahead. What are um, I I have a couple of announcements I want to make about um, stuff that's going on in Greenhorn's world, but I wanted to make sure to give you the option to point to any resources or institutions that you feel like are really um, pushing pushing things forward in your world and um, you know driving good change. So so I'll give you a second to think about it while I give some announcements. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so some things that are coming up in in the world around here, it's kind of insane. Um, September is kind of insane. We have um, this coming week the Farm Hack Small Grains in Keene, New Hampshire. That's on Thursday morning from 9 until noon at Stonewall Farm in Keene, New Hampshire. Then this weekend is the Black Fly Ball up in Machias, Maine. Then in September, it gets really crazy. September 15th is the launch of the Vermont Sail Freight Project from Virgin's Vermont going down 300 miles to New York City carrying dry beans and jams and jellies and pickles and maple syrup and hard cider and like um, 15 tons of cargo, which we're in the middle of coordinating now. Patrick is the point person on that, and he is one busy spreadsheet man, I'll tell you what. Uh, that sail freight is going to stop in Hudson. It's going to stop in Poughkeepsie. It's going to stop in Beacon. You can read all about it on vermontsailfreightproject.org. On the weekend of the 27th, Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. I went ahead of myself too far. On the weekend of the 21st of September, it's both it's Farm Hack, it's Maker Fair, and it's Common Ground Fair all the same time. And Greenhorns and Farm Hack are going to be in all those places, um, especially giving a big talk at the Maker Fair on Sunday and with a, tool of, a table full of tools at Farm Aid on Saturday. So if you're anywhere near... New York City, Saratoga, or Unity, Maine, come um, and hang out. And then the next weekend, the 28th of September, is a farm hack focused on Teamsters and animal power. So that is a event all day long during the Draft Animal Power Network Field Day in Barton, Vermont. Um, we have a full day of farm hack activities. And on the 29th, Sunday, we're having a big market in New Amsterdam in New York City selling produce from off the boat. So if you're a New York City person and you've really been wanting to have a Greenhorn Connection time um, and meet the Vermont Sale Freight Project, put on your calendar 29th of September for such an experience. Okay, that's a lot of promoting things, but mm -hmm. I'm sorry. September is busy. Uh Anything from you, anything down there, Floridians who are listening might have some some leads. Do you have some leads for them? Yeah. Um, well, I just there's a couple of different things uh, that I wanted to mention. Um, as far as a really great organization for anybody in South Florida to know about, there's a local Miami organization called Urban Oasis Project who has a great website, urbanoasisproject.org. And they are doing all sorts of things, always, you know, always taking on more and um, 
they're really great community organizers for all kinds of events and, and just information and potlucks and garden farm tours, all kinds of stuff. Um, so I would I would say anybody living down here needs to know about them and get involved with them. And um, as far as events, there's an event I'm really excited about at a, a new farm in Davie, which is pretty close to Miami. It's just north of here. Um, it's at a, a new farm called Tree Hugger Farm. They're just getting started. It's a bunch of young people, and they're they've already hosted a few events like uh, sort of workshops on on hands-on workshops. They did one recently on um, passive solar heating for um, outdoor shower and stuff like that. They're having one this Thursday. Um, I I'm going to forget the name of the speaker, but um, he's. Cuban, and he's going to be talking about permaculture in Cuba, which is a really interesting subject, especially for us here, because they're kind of, Cuba's kind of like our, our, our brother, you know, our cousin, our, um, and so that should be good, and you can find out about that event on, on the Tree Hugger Farms Facebook page, um, and there's something else, um, well, just, Anyone in Florida, anyone in the southern part of Florida, just remember that tomato time starts in October, which is the opposite of everywhere else in the country. And if you want to plant tomatoes, don't plant them until October, which is a big mistake a lot of people make. And at the Little River Market Garden, we have a big heirloom tomato seedling sale in the middle of October usually, and you can find out about that on our website at littlerivercsa.com. That's it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate so much your time and energy and beautiful garden, and I hope sometime I get down there and and get to see it myself, and if you're ever up here, just know that you're very welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and you're obviously more than welcome to visit whenever you're in town. Keep in touch. (laughs) I'm in love with Lady Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.